Good morning. My name is Andrew Thornton, and I serve here on the music team. I'll be reading the scripture this morning from Romans 5, verses 15 to 21. The gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the disobedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased... Grace increased all the more, so that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks, Andrew. Well, I've got to take this new reverend status for a spin, so they're letting me, <laughs> letting me preach this morning, and uh, it's my honor to do so. Uh, I just want to say also thank you for um, the many people, who, uh, family uh, and friends who are kind of visiting either here in person. I'm honored. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, and those of you who are joining online, thank you. You all played a part uh, in shaping me, and I just want to say thank you so much. Um, you know, it, it was a common phrase in Jesus' day that a prophet was without honor in his hometown. Um, and I'm, it says a lot about you that I can go through this kind of experience here among you, so thank you. We are going through the book of Romans, uh, which is a book in the New Testament, in the Bible, Uh, and if you're looking for some summer reading, would you join us in reading Romans? Uh, Some of you said earlier this year that you'd like to take a step forward in growing in uh, Bible reading, prayer, and devotions uh, as we're thinking about our next steps along our discipleship pathway, and I just want to say, I know it's June, but it's not too late. Okay, it's never too late to start putting some of those things into practice, reading the Bible uh, and uh, taking a moment uh, for prayer in your day. So if you set out that that was going to be your goal in September and have yet to take your first step, it's not too late. Why don't you uh, read uh, uh, in Romans with us this uh, summer as we go through the book. also want to say, hey, if you have taken a next step, uh, you know, in the fall as we encourage you along our discipleship pathway to take a next step, uh, and maybe you have been taking some steps forward, would you let us know how it's going? We really do want to know how you're doing. And some of those things we know, like if someone said, hey, what I want to do is go to Alpha or Set Free. We know some of those things, but some of those other habits maybe that you've been practices you've been putting into place, we haven't heard from from you about those things, uh, just send us a quick email or a message through Facebook or something like that. Let us know how you're doing. Now, if you've missed any of this series, I just want to encourage you to go back uh, and take a listen. It's been uh, rich uh, and uh, a good experience so far, but here's just a few um, thoughts to get you caught up on where we are in Romans. So Paul is writing this letter 
because he wants to partner with the Roman church for the sake of the gospel to reach other people with that message. But there are some doctrinal issues that he needs to address first. So Paul takes uh, them through the gospel because our understanding and our experience of the gospel changes everything. And uh, it's our prayer that the people of Hillcrest are first and foremost concerned with the gospel, partnering for the sake of the gospel. One of our core values here is interdependence, and we want to work in unity as a church, but also to partner with other churches and many other ministries for the sake of evangelism. And we know that many of you come from different backgrounds, uh, and that you have different views on various aspects of Christian belief and practice. And it's important to work through doctrine together, just like Paul does here in Romans. It's important to get some things straight. In fact, if you get your doctrine wrong, you can end up with no gospel at all, like Paul says in his letter to the Galatians. But we can't let certain doctrinal distinctives stand in the way of the gospel. Now, many of you would know that we as a church just voted on a capital campaign to make some changes and update, uh, some updates and upgrades to our facility. And guess what? We have already heard differing opinions on what to do with the seating in here. <laughs> some of you have strong opinions. But chances are, not every one of your expectations or desires will come to pass through this capital campaign. People have different opinions, and that's okay, that's good. But unity and love for one another and partnering for the sake of the gospel has to be our foremost priority. So what is the gospel? The gospel simply means good news. It is the good news that comes to a bad situation. The bad situation is that we are all enslaved to sin and death because of our unrighteousness. But God, through Jesus Christ, offers us his righteousness. We simply receive his gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus. Both Jews and Gentiles are alike in sinfulness. We are alike in how we are made righteous. We are justified or we are made righteous by faith. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can have abundant eternal life. We can have a relationship with God. That's the good news. Our first few weeks uh, in this whole series, we talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly, if you can remember that far back. Then we moved on to the next section in Romans where we talked about the good news, that it's for everyone, it's for one faith family, and it's not because of any human effort, but it's because of resurrection power. And today we're starting a new section where we're going to talk about freedom. First, we're going to talk about freedom from death. That's this week. Then we're going to move on to talking about freedom from sin, freedom from the law, and eventually on to freedom in the Spirit. So freedom from death is what we're talking about today. In other parts of our world, at other times in histories, death was ever-present. It was always in your face. You know what? It used to be impolite to talk about sex in public, but perfectly fine to talk about death. It's kind of the opposite now, isn't it? We live in a time and a place where death is very far removed from us. And perhaps there's never been another experience like that in human history where death was so far out of our minds. 
Now, I know that death is a present reality for some of you. You've lost people close to you. You're facing health concerns, or you're aging like everyone more and more every year. But because of health care, um, or, or maybe someone who's working in health care, uh, you are around death perhaps more often than most. But the reality is, war is not in our backyard. Science and technology, healthcare, and times of peace have allowed many people to put death out of their minds. Also, we have Netflix that we can kind of keep drowning in, right? But ignoring death hasn't made us more resilient as a people. I think people are far more fearful of death than we ever have been. We are told that death is natural, that's all part of life, and that we shouldn't be afraid of it. But deep down, we know that something awful, that there's something awful about death. Ecclesiastes says that God placed eternity within our hearts. It's fundamental to being human to want things to last. If we just accept that death is part of life as we know it, we are destroying part of ourselves. See, death is not a friend. Death is not just returning to sleep. Death is not some final adventure. Death is an enemy. In fact, uh, Jesus, uh, many would know the story of Lazarus and Jesus going, and Lazarus was raised from the dead, and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were there. Jesus goes, and we kind of gloss right over it. Uh, It says, and Jesus cried out, kind of before he spoke to Lazarus and told him to come out of the tomb. It says he cried out. And we kind of hear it as polite Canadians, like Jesus went, that is not the sound he made. It was anguish and anger. It would have been shocking. He was angry at death. But, death is his enemy, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, death is a defeated enemy. And we can have freedom from death. Okay, we're zipping through a whole chapter in Romans, so uh, listen as fast as you can. What's the big picture in Romans? I think we see four things, or or I'll categorize it that way for for the sake of our going through it. Number one, a reign of grace. From the beginning to the end of the chapter, He's talking about God's gift of righteousness and how significantly it changes our lives. We see hope of glory, that our hope is set on having him and all of his benefits for all of eternity. We also see that there is glory in sufferings, that suffering matters because it fuels our hope. And uh, the fourth thing I think we see is the exponential power of the resurrection. That resurrection gives exponential power to the cross, overturning sin and death. Okay, the reign of grace. Paul starts off by saying, don't you understand that because we've been justified by faith in Jesus, we've entered into a new kingdom, a new dimension, a new reality. Everything up until this point has been about the reign of sin and death. We can now live under the reign of grace. 
Again, our scripture reading started in verse 15, but I'd like to take us back to verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I'd like to read that verse again, but this time from the New Living Translation, just to highlight a few different words, so just listen to this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So how do you live in the reign of grace? First, you need to put your faith in Jesus. He's the only way you gain access to God's grace, to eternal life, to eternal abundant life. You need to put your faith in Jesus. That's everyone's starting place. It's a prerequisite for everything that follows. Second, Paul says, stand in grace. Stand in the undeserved privilege that God offers. Don't let anyone, including yourself, push you around with condemnation or guilt. And don't exercise one self-righteous muscle. Stand in grace. Nicky Gumbel from Alpha Series, he says it this way. The Christian lives in a constant state of forgiveness. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't repent when you sin or pretend like you don't sin. But if you stand in, revel in, live in that constant state of grace and forgiveness, you'll be far less likely to sin. You'll be far more likely to live a life that honors him. So receive the love and grace he's pouring into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Stop resisting and arguing with God about his grace for you. Receive it. Hold out your hands even if you need to and say, Lord, I receive your grace. Hope of glory. The way that we use hope in our culture is very flimsy. Uh, It's used interchangeably with the word wish, like we, we hope it won't rain during the wedding, you know, during the outdoor ceremony, that would, be, that would be bad. We hope it doesn't. We wish it wouldn't. It's also used as kind of this optimism. But that's not what Christian hope is really getting at. It's not spiritual wishing or optimism about this life. Hope is knowing that all he has promised to us will be ours. He offers us himself and all of his benefits. His promises are inevitable, but they're not yet complete in our lives. I know many people who are shaken in their faith because they gave God a due date on certain promises. They said, you have to come through for me in this way by this point. And then past that date they went, and their faith is shaken. See, there's many things that we have right now Because he has given them to us. But the fullness of our hope should be set on what we will receive when we are resurrected. If that is where our hope is, 
then that hope allows us to confront the harsh realities of our world, but never be crushed by them. And it allows us to hold blessing and beauty in this life loosely, knowing it it is at best a foreshadowing, a foretaste of the blessing and beauty that we will experience when we are in eternity with him. The famous verse, you give and take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord, comes to mind. Now, Christianity has both been guilty of only talking about the afterlife while neglecting the realities of this life, and also guilty about talking about the expansion of the kingdom of God as if it was only for this life here and now. But I believe, again, we should repent of those things. It is both of those things. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 19 says this, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. Christianity is not just for when you die. And it's also not just for this life. See, Jesus offers abundant, eternal life. You remember earlier in Romans, Paul asked this question, where then is boasting? It's certainly not in anything that we can do, but instead we boast in the hope of the glory of God, confidently looking forward to sharing in and experiencing the glory of God, the fullness of his goodness and holiness washing over us wave after wave after wave through all of eternity. So stand in grace and boast in hope. We better keep moving. This is verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Uh, Perseverance and character are footnotes on the way to hope. (laughs) Glory in our suffering. What does it mean to glory in our sufferings? The word glory means weight. Uh, we use the word matter in the same kind of way, right? Matter stuff. Does it matter? Is it real? Is it of substance? Does it count? And when we have a sense of the glory, the weight of God, we realize that there's nothing else that we can compare him to. He is unmatched. That's why throughout the Psalms you see things like saying, you are my glory, You are the heaviest thing. You're what matters most. When we say, you are my glory, we're saying that you're my highest reward, my most valued possession. To glory in something is to understand and experience that value in our lives. See, suffering leads to greater hope. Suffering counts for something. It matters No other worldview or religion so carefully or comprehensively deals with suffering. Christianity is unique in this way. Suffering matters. See, Jesus suffered and died, and yet it was God's greatest victory. If we suffer, we become more and more mindful of what he has promised us. See, if we feel alone, we know we will not always be alone. If we feel rejected, we will not always be rejected. If we feel overlooked, we will not always be overlooked. If we are sick, we will not always be sick. We will be healed. We will be seen. 
We will be accepted. We will be embraced by him. So don't get stuck in your suffering. Turn it into hope. Suffering matters, and it produces perseverance, character, and ultimately hope. See, hope brings perspective to our suffering and to what joy this world can offer us. See, if you are bewildered at the suffering that you are experiencing, you have a hope problem. If you are desperately trying to find all of your joy in this life, you have a hope problem. But hope does not put us to shame. You need to find the strength of hope. Verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Through the Holy Spirit, we can experience the love of God, a foretaste of what it will be like to be with Him for all of eternity. And Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to everyone who puts their faith in Him. If you want to receive the Holy Spirit, just receive the Holy Spirit. Come forward if you want to at the end of our service and be prayed for by our prayer teams. Receive the Holy Spirit. He'll fill you with his love and grace. He'll empower you to leave a life that brings transformation to our world. And you can take the gospel in power wherever you go. Verse 6 and 7 and 8 uh, all come together and uh, the, the people need Sorry, let me, let me read them to you. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. The people that we need to reach the gospel with are still sinners. And most of them are not coming to us. We will have to go to them. We will have to be among them. Many of them won't accept us. Many of them will reject us, hate us, persecute us. But where would we be if Christ had not come to us while we were sinners? If it was up to us to make it halfway to him, we would be lost. Where would we be if he wasn't willing to lay down his life I would say this, if you have any experience of his love, it should send you to sinners. Now let's talk about the exponential power of the resurrection. So how many of you ex- uh, encountered exponents in math class? Anybody remember what those things are? Okay. Anybody want to come up here and explain exactly what those are to everyone. I know some of you actually do know, but some of you got very nervous in a moment like that. I'll try to give you my simple understanding of it. Right? Do you remember how this works? So again, you have a number, right? And then there's another tiny number up near it. You know what I'm talking about? Okay? So, something like two to the power of five. Anybody know what that should add up to? 32. Very good. Those of you who are like, what magic is this? How did they get 32? It's right. Anyways, so 2 to the power of 5, it's 2 times 2 times 2 times 2 times 2, is 32. They're right. Now, in these next few verses, Paul is doing some spiritual math. He's taking the cross, Jesus crucified, 
God's infinite love poured out, the atonement, our sins laid on him, and he's using that as the base number. And then Paul is taking the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus, and he's putting that in as the exponent. Okay, are you with me? The cross to the power of the resurrection. And he keeps saying all through this whole next section, the rest of the chapter, things like, how much more? It's math that we can't even understand. Okay, verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? He's resurrected. Verse 10. For if we, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. Okay, this idea continues. Paul compares and contrasts how sin and death came into our world through Adam. And how the, the reign of grace and, and victory over sin and death came through Jesus Christ. So again, he's, he's comparing and contrasting these things. Now, think for a moment about how devastating sin and death have been from Adam. That's a pretty powerful force. And yet the cross to the power of the resurrection obliterates it. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death came through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did. See, death reigns over all of us, whether there's a law there to point out our sin or not. But in verse 15, Paul says this, but the gift is not like the trespass. Think about how powerful that has been, sin and death, in all of human history. And if you can see the power of sin, how one man's sin has affected the whole world, wait until you see the power of God's grace. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more, again, how much more, did God's grace and the gift that came by um, the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. Again, the scales are flipped. The weight, the glory of God is shown again. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. Verse 17, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more? the cross to the power of the resurrection, will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For justice through this Disobedience, the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. 
See, sin and death have been overturned. The law was brought in that the trespass may increase. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are in a reign of grace for those of us who put our faith in Jesus. I'll invite the worship team uh, to come back now as I just share a few final verses with you. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verse 54, it says this, Death has been swallowed up in victory. And this is a quote from Isaiah, coming from, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? There's a, a poem. I couldn't find it exactly to quote it to you. George Herbert was the name of the, the author. He talks about death used to be an executioner. That was it. It was final. But the gospel turns death into a gardener. See, if death puts me in the ground, I'll only become something more beautiful and more alive. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 says this, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, and it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Death is a conquered enemy. And again, many of you might be facing death in various ways, grieving the loss of loved ones, um, struggling in your own health, perhaps, I don't know where exactly you are at. Maybe you're more on the other end, where it seems so far removed. I challenge you this morning to make your hope come alive through the trials that you face in this life, and to set your hope on him and all his benefits for all of eternity. Would you stand with me? Maybe you are a person out there, you've never put your faith in Jesus, uh, and you would like to. I'd like to pray this prayer with you this morning. And as I pray these words, would you echo them as well, if this is true of your heart's condition as well. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The worship team is going to lead us in one final song, but I do want to encourage you, if you need an experience of his love and grace through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to invite you to come forward after our service and meet with our prayer teams. Uh, I'm sure they would love to pray with you. Let's worship.